We walk by faith and not by sight. So we're trusting God this morning. We're trusting the Holy Spirit. I don't know what that noise is. Rain? Okay, well, we're less believe it's the showers of blessing. <laughs> Coming down on us right at this moment. So we're trusting God that he is going to speak to our hearts. We're trusting God that he is going to stir us up, that he's going to encourage, that the Holy Spirit's going to do whatever he wants to do this morning. We give him full permission to come and to take the word of God and to plant it into your hearts. We pray that your hearts will be prepared and that God will plant a word into your heart that will sustain you and strengthen you and guide you and correct you and do whatever it is that God wants to do in you. All right? Are we all up for that? Yes. Okay. So we're going to trust that this is prophetic, the sound of this rain, and that we are going to have an outpouring of God this morning that's going to change us. I've been saying recently, I've found myself saying this recently, that it's possible for us to be challenged, but not changed. And I would love that not only would our hearts be challenged, but that God would actually change us. To, to make us more like Jesus, but also to prepare us. As we become more like Jesus, he's preparing us to do the things that he's called us to do, to run this race. Um, over the last few weeks, we have been looking at all the witnesses in Hebrews 11, all of these mighty men and women of faith in the Old Testament who ran the race well, who kept their eyes on God and uh, had faith in God for very difficult situations. And we've looked at that over recent weeks and we've seen that these witnesses in chapter 11, that they are wanting to pass on the baton, the Americans would say the baton, isn't that right? But these Old Testament saints want to pass that over to us, that we will take up that baton or baton of faith and that we will run and that we will learn from what we read about them and how they ran. And uh, last week we touched on the first verse of Hebrews 12, and we're going to go right through Hebrews 12 this morning. Last week we looked at how uh, we're supposed to lay aside every weight, and uh, we're supposed to run this race for God. Now, I love the way it says in Hebrew, in the New Living Translation, it says, therefore, that's because of chapter 11 and all of those witnesses, we're surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses in the, to the life of faith. Let us, if you remember at the very beginning of Hebrews, we saw that if you read through the whole book of Hebrews, and every time you see the word let us, put a circle around it, you'll be amazed how many times the writer is encouraging us. Look, they did that, so let us do it. And here it is again, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We looked at that last week. But I want to read to you out of the message, because I feel that the message, uh, the way it writes, and, and, and uh, uh, this particular, the way it translates this particular chapter, is very, very powerful. And sometimes we get used to hearing words uh, from a translation that we just get used to. And I feel God wants to use, um, and we're kind of jumping from the New Living Translation into the message. But let's just look at what it says in the message. Do you see what this means? That's chapter 11. All these pioneers who blazed the way, all of these veterans cheering us on, well, it means that we better get on with it. Strip down, start running and never quit. No extra spiritual fat. 
That's a good word for us, isn't it? The old fat gets us every time, doesn't it? And we try to lose a few pounds in the natural. But spiritually, we need to get rid of that excess stuff that we're carrying, that weight that would slow us down. Keep your eyes on Jesus, who both began and finished the race that we are in. Study how Jesus did it, because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God, he could, because of that he could put up with anything along the way. The cross, the shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honour, right alongside God. When you find yourself flagging in your faith, go over that story again, item by item. That long little litany of hostility that Jesus ploughed through. And that will shoot adrenaline into your souls. Do you know, I'd love for the Holy Spirit to give each of you a shot of adrenaline, spiritual adrenaline, as you go out of here today. Because I want to say in the message from verse 4, In this all-out match against sin, others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through. All that bloodshed. So don't feel sorry for yourselves. You know, feeling sorry for ourselves is one of the greatest things that will just poison us. Draw the light out of us. Self-poison, or self-poison is poison. Self-pity is like poison. And, and the enemy loves to use self-pity. So uh, we've read this, these verses so far. They're speaking about how we need to be like an athlete. We need to run this race of life, this race of faith like an athlete. And we need to lay aside every weight. And last week we looked at how we, you know, we kind of looked at this already. So I don't want to go over it again too much. But just to remind you that if you're going to run a race in the natural, you don't go out with a big top coat on you and a pair of hobnail boots. You strip that off, don't you, in the natural. And you don't go to run a marathon because we're talking about a marathon here. Life is a marathon, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. And you don't go out to run a marathon if you haven't been getting yourself into fit condition. And it's the same spiritually. And, and last week we looked at how we need to be spiritually fit. We need to have the, the water of the word of God in us. We need, to, we need to have the encouragement of the Holy Spirit. We need to be filled with the Spirit and we need to be ready to run in those shoes of the gospel of peace. And, and another thing that we really need is vision. If we're going to do anything for God, we need to have vision. And we've read here that it's important to keep our eyes on Christ. You see, the enemy does not want you, he doesn't want you to run this race. And he especially doesn't want you to finish this race. And so he will try to stop you with this kind of, what, what, what some of the older translations says, this besetting sin. This sin that just gets you every time. And we mentioned that last week, how each of us, the enemy studies us and he sees where your weak point is and he tries to bring you down and very often just keeps keeps bringing you into failure over and over again through the same thing. And dear forgive me for saying it, but sometimes we're all just so, I hate that word stupid, but sometimes we are a bit, aren't we? We just let the enemy make a fool of us because we just keep letting them repeat and get the same old thing over and over again. And God wants us to get past that. And he wants us to, uh, to receive the challenge and by the power of his Holy Spirit to run this race and to keep running. So there's lots of things that would try to stop us. And you know what those besetting sins are. You know what those things are. But usually they're in and around fear. Usually the enemy will, you know, will get you through fear and unbelief. And we've looked at those things over the past weeks. 
And how fear is not faith. Fear is the opposite of faith. Faith means, well, I might feel the fear, but I'm going to trust God to go on anyway. And so fear and unbelief will stop us. But also false comforts, getting into a comfortable position will also stop us. And um, I wanted to read to you just have a few quotes here. You might remember, those of us that are older will remember that Sir, Sir Roger Bannister was the first man to break the four-minute mile barrier. And here's what he said, because he knew something about running the race. He said, the man who can drive himself further once the effort gets painful is the man who will win. No challenge in life is easy or else it wouldn't be a challenge. The fact is that running the race of the Christian life is a big challenge. Sometimes it hurts and we've got to get used to that. The painful times are the times when we, both, when we most need to fall back on our earlier preparation and training to get, to get us through. And that's why I keep saying to you it's so important to get God's word into our heart and to be having this ongoing relationship with God where he is training us up and where we're believing his word. And then when something difficult comes, then we can we have the, the we've been trained to go through it and, and God will give us all that we need to go through that. This quote goes on to say, I have discovered that if we're going to run our race and finish our course, we're going to have to keep pressing beyond what is comfortable. And Isaiah 54 and 2 says, Enlarge the place of your tent and let them stretch out the curtains of your dwellings. Do not spur. Lengthen your cords and strengthen your sticks. Now, I believe this morning that God wants us to be enlarged. Would you agree with me? He wants you to have a greater capacity for what he wants to do in your life. But being enlarged means being stretched. And that's, that's not so pleasant. Sure it's not. Now I have had a bit of a pain in my back over the last um, wee while. It's a bit of sciatica going down the leg and whatever. And the chiropractor that I went to, he gave me exercises to stretch. And, you know, and sometimes I can't about uh, but then the pain comes back. So I know that if I do the stretching, then sometimes it's painful to do the stretching. But I know that the stretching, whilst it feels a bit of pain when you're doing it, it actually does me good and it, it, it relieves me of that pain. And you see, God knows that there's times when you need to be stretched. And God wants to enlarge where you're at. And sometimes that stretching is not comfortable. But listen, folks, it's going through hard times and through through trials and difficulties that God does his best job of stressing you. Do you believe that? He means it for good, but Satan means it for evil. But God wants to stress you for a greater capacity. And here's what it goes on to say in this quote. God is saying to us, and listen to this. Here's what God, I believe, is saying to you this morning. I cannot fit what I want to do in your life in the space that you have. You're not thinking or believing or imagining or dreaming big enough. I need you to get bigger so that I can do what I want to do through you. The four words that God uses to describe how this getting bigger will happen imply anything but comfort. These words are enlarge, strengthen, lengthen and strengthen. Every one of these words involves growth, pain and discomfort, but it's worth the effort. 
Don't we say to our young ones, you're having growing pains. Sometimes we have to go through those things. Every runner who is committed to a long distance race knows that the race will involve pain and discomfort. Runners endure the pain for the thrill of winning, of crossing the finish line, having completed the course. A guy called Peter Matter, who was an Olympic runner, here's what he said. Running is a big question mark that's there every day. It asks you, are you going to be a wimp? Are you going to be strong today? Life asks us the same question regarding our spiritual race. Are we going to quit for the sake of avoiding a bit of pain and discomfort? Or will we press through to the end, make a choice and move forward? And so there is this choice that is put to us constantly. I think it's happening all the time. Will we take do it the easy way, do it the flesh way, or do it God way? The flesh way leads you to spiritual flab, excess spiritual fat. God's way trims you up, gets you fit, into fit, and gets you ready to run a race that is intentional because God has intentional plans over all of your lives. Things that you can do that nobody else can do, it gets you into line to run for him. So the first thing is that the athlete needs to lay aside every weight and needs to run with endurance and go through, go through this, this, this discomfort. Getting out of our comfort zone is not easy. It's a lot easier to just put the feet up and say, you know, I actually quite like just quite enjoy lying up here right now. I'm not bothered in any training. I'll just take life easy. And you know, that might seem easy at the time, but actually it ends up with problems because you're not, you're not built for just lying around. God's created you to run a race. <coughs> I have another quote here. I might not be read it all to you, but it actually says that we're all a bit like rubber bands. That if a rubber band isn't stretched, it's not doing what it was created to do. Isn't that right? It's meant to be stretched. And so are you. God's created you. And in fact, this week quote said that they've done tests on amoebas and they've discovered that if they keep an amoeba and keep it in a perfectly stress free environment, you know what happens? It dies. So if you were to lie up and just have no feelings and no discomforts and nothing, it doesn't stimulate you. We're living in a world, a real world, where there is pain, where there are trials, and God has made us and created us in his image to overcome those things and to be stressed is part of it all. And you see, they tell us that the, this, these verses say that, that, that we're meant to run this race with endurance. It says, um, let us run with endurance the race that God has set before you. Did you know that God has a specific race for you to run? You know the way they have all those, on the track, they have all those lanes that they run in? Well, God's given you a lane. You're, you're one of your own, and, and he knows exactly what he has for you to run, what, what, where that is going to lead you. But you've got to run with endurance. And apparently, I am not a runner now, I have to confess that. I am not, I, am, I don't think I've run the length of myself for a long time. Oh, well, I do, I took a wee sprint now and again, I'm going in a bit of a hurry. But I am not, I've never really got into any kind of, you know, proper racing. And certainly I haven't dreamt of doing a marathon. But people who do marathons tell me that there is such a thing as a wall, as hitting the wall. Have you all heard of this? Where a runner who's going to run a marathon at a certain point will hit a wall, which is an invisible wall, but it's, it's a very real thing in the mind of the athlete. 
And uh, I wanted to read a quote to you as well about this wall, because it says here, at some point in the race, every marathon runner wants to give up. This point is known as the wall or the red zone. And this is a critical point. It usually comes eight to 10 miles from the finish line. Dear blessings, can you imagine eight to 10 miles from the finish line? When your body screams for you to stop and give up. Now, although it's obviously invisible, it's a very real barrier in a runner's mind. And it's at, it's at this point at which the runner's body is begging for him to, or her to stop that their will has to, you know, their will to go on is almost broken and their mind begins to get hazy at this point. And it's at this critical point that the runner has to press through the wall and make a decision not to give up. It's one thing to determine at the start of the race that you're not going to give up, but quite another in the heat of the race, especially during the exhaustion and pain that one experiences when hitting the wall. Now, Christine Kane, who's from Hillsong, she says, here's a quote from her, she says, I often joke that I think so many God opportunities have come my way in life just because I'm still here and others aren't. In other words, God's running out of options. There are other people who started the race with me who were far more gifted, talented, far more eloquent and anointed and smarter than I was. But somewhere along the line, they gave up. But I just kept running. There's a lot to be said for just continuing on even when you feel like giving up. And here's the challenge. Is there any area of your life where you feel that you've hit a wall? The temptation is always to back off, to slow down or to quit. But God wants you to press through and carry on. Often like the red zone of marathon running, the walls that hinder our progress exist more in our minds than they do in reality. Do you know, I believe that so strongly. It's what your mind tells you. Your mind tells you you can't do this. You just can't do this. And that, of course, is a lie from the enemy because God's word says if you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. So you can do it. And so God wants us to keep going. Keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus, coupled with a determination to never give up, will see you through. Don't settle for merely starting your race. Be determined to finish it. Look forward to the day when, like Paul, you can say, I have finished the race and I've kept the faith. That's what God wants us to experience. And so as we look at all of this today, and as we look at these exhortations to keep running, I believe God wants us to know that there are times when trials and difficulties come that it's going to take endurance. You're going to have to make up your mind that you're going to trust God and you're going to keep going in this race of faith. You're going to continue to speak faith over yourself. You're going to speak God's word over yourself. You're not going to be repeating those lies that the enemy keeps putting in your mind, but you're going to continue to repeat and speak out God's truth. Your mind is, is so important. It's the renewal of your mind. That's what God's after, that your mind will be renewed to think and to speak out what God says and not what the enemy is telling you. And so this is what God wants us to do. He wants us to be runners that are running this race and are prepared to go through with endurance and realise that there is a course marked out for them. And realise that, that sometimes the difficulties of life are actually going to strengthen your endurance level. Uh, Romans 5 and 3 says, We can rejoice when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they will help us to develop endurance. 
So you can allow your difficulties to actually train you up and to, to give you endurance. You can turn it around. And that's what I always say, don't waste your pain. Allow God to use your pain to give you an endurance level that you can run for God and see God not only is he starting this race for him, but to see it through to the end. Who wants to start a race and then, and then drop out somewhere along the line? On this Christian race, God wants us to run and to break through the finish line. Imagine entering into glory, staggered in, I've made it. I've run with endurance. I've, like, like Paul said, I have fought the fight. I've finished the race. I've done what God called me to do. Listen. This will take, the enemy does not want you to continue. Galatians 5 and 7 says, You were running the race beautifully. Who cut in on you and stopped you from obeying the truth? You know, the enemy will send somebody or send something, some temptation, some trial, some, some situation, and he'll try to cut in to stop you running, to get you off that racetrack. And every marathon runner knows that they need to keep the race on where they're going, keep their vision on what their aim is. And our vision is Jesus. Every athlete needs to have focus. And every Christian athlete needs that focus to be on Jesus Christ and keep our eyes on him. I love the fact that Jesus not only started the race, but he finished it. And he has already won the battle for you. He's already overcome sin. He's already defeated the devil. So actually, if you just keep having faith in him and keep your eyes fixed on Jesus and keep putting your faith in him, you've al- you're already a winner. You're already winning if you're, if you're trusting in the Lord Jesus. And I love these verses because they tell us, let me just continue to read here. I'm going to read it. Uh, I could hardly tell you which one I'm going to go for for reading here because the, the um, New Living Translation is really good as well. But um, let's read it actually in the New Living. It says, We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he, that's Jesus, endured the cross disregarding its shame now he is seated in the place of honor beside god's throne think of all the hostility that he endured from sinful people then you won't be become weary and give up after all you have not yet given your lives given up your lives in your struggle against sin And so we see that the the, the word of God is encouraging us to keep looking to Jesus. Now, the thing that really grabbed me here, and I feel this could be really important for somebody, I really feel that there's something in what I'm about to say that could be for specific people this morning. Because if you're in the heat of a very difficult situation, if you're in a place where the enemy's just throwing everything he has at you to discourage you and to, to, to... to, to try and cut in and stop you continuing have, keeping your eyes on Jesus. If he, he wants at all costs to take your eyes off Jesus and get, his eyes, get your eyes onto his lies. He wants you to keep focused on the lies, not on Jesus. And the thing that really grabbed me this week is that when Jesus ran the, his race, when he, and when he came down to this world and he set his face, it says, he set his face as a flint to go to the cross. And, and Jesus was determined, he was single-minded that he was going to go to the cross to die for your sins. And it tells us here in Hebrews that he despised the shame of the cross. 
He despised it. And in fact, it tells us, I think I've written in your notes here, that you know the cross was the most shameful, it was the most shameful means of death that anyone could have. It was the lowest form of capital punishment in the Roman world. The, that type of, of death was reserved for slaves and criminals. And it involved not just the torture, but the public humiliation. And so we've just read in, in Hebrews that Jesus, you know, he despised that shame. Because actually he was being treated by the Romans as being valueless. And he was mocked and he was ridiculed. He was scorned. They tried to shame him. And Jesus was the Son of God, the, the, the person of Christ was the holy messiah the anointed one he was god in flesh and yet these roman soldiers and the people the religious rulers of the day they put him to death on the cross to scorn him and to ridicule him to try and humiliate him and jesus hated that he hated the scorn but the amazing thing is that even though he hated the scorn hebrews tells us he despised it even though he despised the scorn, he was prepared to go through. Why? Because of the joy that was set before him. And what was the joy that was set before Jesus? It was you. It was me. It was you. He was looking at you as he faced the, the awfulness and the horror of going to the cross to die for the sins of the world. He was looking beyond the cross to those who would be saved, to all of us who would be saved through his death on the cross, and that is what drove him to keep going, looking at you. And now he turns it around, and he says, now you're going towards your difficulty, you're going towards your cross, there's this thing in your life, who are you going to look to? Well, he's saying, I was looking at you, and I want you now to look at me. He's saying, well, you keep your eyes on me. I kept looking at you, and I kept, I kept saying that you were the joy that I was going to go to the cross for you. And now you're going through difficulties in your life. The way you're going to get through them is keep looking at me. And when we keep our eyes on Jesus, something happens that gives us a supernatural ability to run through the wall, to run through the difficult things, to endure. There's something happens when we keep our eyes focused on Jesus because when we look into his face, we see his love. And when you look into the face of Jesus, you, you see pure unadulterated love and you see him looking right into your eyes and he said I love you I loved you so much that I went to the cross to die for your sins I took the weight of your sins in my own body on the cross I took your pain I took your shame I took I took your sins and I bore them because I love you and I still love you and I'm saying come on I have set you free from the penalty of your sin. But I want to bring you forward into the privilege of running this race for me. And I want you to do it with joy. Who for the joy that was set before him, despising the cross, despising the shame, he ran towards the cross. And you know what? He wants you to run this race. Even though at times you have to endure, he wants you to do it with joy. <laughs> the joy of the Lord is your strength. And you only experience that joy that will give you the strength to keep going when you keep your focus on Jesus. When you keep, you keep looking into his eyes and saying, Lord, what are you saying to me today? What's your word for me today? And just keep looking at him and he will take you through. And then 
it's almost like he it's almost like the writer to the Hebrews kind of switches over the metaphor as running the race as an athlete that's being trained but it's almost like he suddenly then starts talking to us about being a child of God about about let's just read it actually I want to read it from the message I think because I think it's lovely it says in this all out match against sin others have suffered far worse than you to say nothing of what Jesus went through all that bloodshed so don't feel sorry for yourselves or have you forgotten how good parents treat children so that God regards you as his children my dear child don't shrug off God's discipline but don't be crushed by it either it's the child that he loves that he disciplines it's the child that he embraces that he also corrects God is educating you that's why you must never drop out he's treating you as dear children the trouble that you're in isn't punishment it's training the normal experience of children only irresponsible parents leave children to fend for themselves would you prefer an irresponsible god we respect our own parents for training and not spoiling us so why not embrace god's training so we can truly love while we were children our parents did what seemed best to them but god's doing what's best for us training us to live god's holy best at the time the discipline isn't much fun it always feels like it's going against the grain Later, of course, it pays off handsomely, for it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in the relationship with God. Another translation says that when we go through the, the, the discipline of God, it's not pleasant, but it brings forth the fruits of righteousness. It brings forth the, 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 the peace. It brings forth peace in our, in, our, in, our, in our lives, and it brings forth righteousness. And so... There's something about going through discipline, and we don't like it. But you see, God is saying to us, I believe this morning, yes, you're an athlete. You ladies, you're spiritual athletes. You might not feel like it, but you are. And I'll tell you, the older you get, you don't get out of the race through age. The older you get, I think it's more like, come on, you've learned a whole lot now. You're ready to run even harder. And so we're all spiritual athletes, but we've got to remember this. We're spiritual athletes, but God's training. It's not, it's not some stranger that's training you to run this race. It's your Father. It's your Heavenly Father who's training you to run the race. And He loves you, and He knows how to train you. And that involves discipline at times. It involves correction. It involves God teaching you what, what is right for your life. And we don't like it. None of, us, none of us like that. We don't like to be corrected. We don't like God's discipline. But it brings forth the peaceable fruits of peace and righteousness, maturity. It makes us mature. It helps us to grow up. Now, I was out with Danny Boy yesterday. And Danny Boy, uh, Jane walks him some days, and I walk him other days. And uh, he, he, when Jane walks him, he just takes off, no problem. But uh, I have got into a bit of a habit that I would give him a couple of wee bits of, wee bits of food. So he'd get the first one, and at the beginning that was enough for him. But then as time went on, he would wait, and I'd have to give him a second one. So this has gone on now for quite a while. We got up to four. And the other day I was thinking, I think this dog can count because he won't, he won't go until I give him four. He actually count. And then, lo and behold, he looked for a fifth one. And I thought, well, maybe he doesn't know how to count. 
But anyway, I decided yesterday that I'd had enough. That he was not going to keep pushing the boundaries out. That I was going to discipline this dog. So I kept drawing him out. I gave him the first piece because that's okay. I don't mind the first piece. And then I looked at him and I said, right, Danny boy, you can stand there all you like, but we're, you're not getting any more. And he looked at me, and you know, whenever he gets stubborn like that, there's a real funny look comes over Danny Boy's face. <laughs> and it's not very, not very nice look. Really, it's like he puts one side of his mouth up and he kind of gets real stubborn looking. And I'm standing face to face with this dog, and I'm, and I'm talking to this dog in the garage, and I'm saying, well, please let nobody be outside there. I'm saying, Danny Boy, you're not getting any more until you come back. He's still looking at me with his face. So I took out the three pieces in my pocket, and I put them out and I said, do you see that? And he comes a bit forward and I says, no, you're not getting those until you, and here's me, he's not, you're not getting those till you finish. And I'm, I'm like, you're saying that, he says, oh. So he seems looking at me and I'm looking at him and then he makes a wee bit of a move and I got him the length of the door of the garage to get out. And he stopped again and I said, uh-uh, I mean it now, you're not getting any to come back. So he kind of, then he started to weave it. And before we got to the gate, I think he'd stopped twice. We got to the gate and he stopped again. And the same thing again. I took the three pieces out and I said, look, you're not getting it until you come back. All right? Put it back in the pocket again. And off we went. Well, do you know, he stopped twice going up the drive. But then he looked at me. And all of a sudden, he just took off. And he flew around that walk. He flew around. And he was, north, he was happy looking. The tail was full and he was just going for it. And here's me and myself, do you know what, God, there's a wee lesson in that for me. Because sometimes you don't give me what I want because you love me too much to give me everything I want. And you know that it's far better for me if I don't get some things. And I love your discipline. I love the way you discipline me because you do it for my, for my good. And you see, Danny Boy's getting a wee bit of weight on. He needs to be, he needs to be you know, he needs to be healthier. He's getting older now. I know what's best for him. And it's better he doesn't keep pushing out the boundaries. No, he was going around, he was a happy dog. The tail was, was, was just, and off he went. And you know, I just thought, God knows. God knows what's best for you, and he'll discipline you. And there are times he will say, cut that out. That's not good for you. Sometimes we love things like gossip. Sometimes we kind of just can drift into that. Sometimes we can speak badly about people. Sometimes we can be caught up in all kinds of things. And God just says, cut that out. I don't want that in your life. Sometimes we don't honour people the way we speak about them. Sometimes we're selfish. Sometimes we, we like, give me first in the queue. I need more than anybody else. Sometimes there's a selfishness in us. And God says, cut that out. I don't like that. Just the way you discipline your children because you love them and because you want them to grow up to be people who are going to mature and people who can cope with life and, and get the best out of life and people that others will look to uh, for help and people who can't help. You want to see your children doing well. God's your father and he wants to see you growing up and maturing and he wants to see you. He wants to see what you, he wants to see you fulfill your potential. And, and you see, that takes a bit of discipline. And so God wants to discipline us as children. And then he wants us to know that, that there are times that we'll feel weary and maybe we'll feel that we're going to lose heart. But he's saying, whenever you're flagging, he says, remember me, remember what I went through. Those times that you flag, let's just read on the rest of it in this um, 
in this uh, message version. It says, but what, God is but, but God is doing what is best for us, training us to live God's holy best. At the time, the discipline isn't much fun. But it's the well-trained who find themselves mature in their relationship with God. So don't sit around on your hands. No more dragging your feet. Clear the path for long distance runners. So, so clear the path for long distance runners so no one will trip and fall. So no one will step into a hole and sprain an ankle. Help each other out and run for it. Work at getting along with each other and with God. Otherwise, you'll never get so much as a glimpse of God. Make sure no one gets left out of God's generosity. And keep a sharp eye, sharp eye for the weeds of bitter discontent. A thistle or two that's gone to seed can ruin a whole garden in no time at all. You see, whenever life gets tough, it's very easy, easy for us just to get discouraged and disheartened. It's very easy for us to, to think we're always going to be stuck in this situation. I read this recently and I thought it was really good. And I think this is a word for somebody. You have to stop thinking that you will be stuck in your situation forever. We feel like our heart will never heal or we will never get out of the impossible struggle. Don't confuse a season for a lifetime. Even your trials have an expiry date. You will grow. Life will change. Things will work out. I think that's a word for somebody today. That God knows at the end of the season of struggle that you're in, it has an expiry date and God's going to take you through. I read this somewhere. A diamond is a chunk of coal that did well under pressure. <laughs> God wants to make you all into diamonds. A diamond, a diamond sheds the light out of so many different facets, and it's people who go through trials and difficulties who shine the most from different, from different facets. And God wants to make you into beautiful diamonds that shine for us. Faith, like, faith is like muscle. It only grows if we use it. God wants us to actually use that faith that we have to trust him. It goes on to say, do you need stronger faith? Then test it like you test your strength. Neglect faith and it will weaken. We need to be strong inside and out. I just feel that God wants you to know today that if you're in a very, very dark place, I read this somewhere and I've typed it in my notes, Sometimes when, you're in a, when you are in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. That's a quote from Christine Kane. Sometimes when you're in a dark place, you think you've been buried, but you've actually been planted. See, God wants to bring something out of your difficulties, out of your trials. He does his best work in trials. And so, the Living Translation, I want to read a wee bit in the Living Translation as we begin to wind this up today. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. And then it goes on to say, whoever heard of a child who is never disciplined by its father? 
It's only for our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years. Doing the best they knew. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in his holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there is a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. And here's the bit I want to read to you from the New Translation. So take a new grip with your tired hands and strengthen your weak knees. Make out a straight path for your feet so that those who are weak and lame will not fail, but not fall, but become straw. Did you ever say to somebody, go and get a grip? <laughs> well, you know, I was in Port Aventura and I was reading this chapter. I was in Port Aventura a few weeks ago, well, over a month ago. And I was reading this chapter, and those words just shut out of me. Take a fresh grip. And sometimes, very often in our Christian race, there's an, uh, we get a bit weary and we get a bit tired because it seems like maybe God's not answering the way we thought he would do or things we don't seem to be getting that breakthrough that we're longing for and, and it can be a testing time and I feel this morning that God would say to somebody this morning you need to get a grip you need to get a fresh grip on God's goodness get a fresh grip that he's your father get a fresh grip that he sees up ahead where you're running to and it's not futile there's purpose in the direction that you're running and although it might seem as though you're just running he's saying no there's a purpose in this i'm a god of intention i'm a god of purpose and i know where i'm taking you just keep looking to me and keep trusting me and keep running like christine kane said she's still doing stuff for god and has had lots of opportunities i mean she's doing amazing stuff but she says many another person was far smarter and far more anointed than she was but they dropped out of the race all she did was keep running. And if you're getting it tight, just keep, just keep trusting. Just keep going. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I, I, I declare your goodness. Lord, I read your word and I read it over myself and I declare that you're going to take me through this and that you've got a purpose for my life. That's what running the race is. And God wants us to get a fresh grip, a new grip with our tired hands. Sometimes it feels like we're tired. Sometimes it feels like our knees are weak. Sometimes it feels like our knees, and, and God said, look, just take a deep breath. Just put your faith back in me again. And remember that I have got the path marked out for you. And the one thing that you need to be careful is, is this. Don't let the things that are happening in your life bring you into bitterness. I often say, Lord, preserve me from ending up being a bitter old woman. Because you see, if you let bitterness in and you start to get jealous of people and then you begin to, you know, you hold a grudge and you don't forgive and that bitterness grows, it's like a cancer. And it starts to actually develop through you. And you know, if you see somebody that's allowed bitterness to come in, you know what happens? You can actually begin to see it on their face. Have you ever noticed that? And they begin to look ugly and they begin to act, and as they get older, I'll tell you something, that people who don't deal with bitterness in their earlier life, they might hide it. But you see, when they get old, they can't hide it because it comes out and it's so ugly and it comes out in nastiness and bitterness. And God says, avoid that because those seeds of bitterness will destroy a lot of stuff that God wants to do. Don't let bitterness about what's happened to you or what's happened to your loved ones don't let it into your life. It will destroy you. Don't let that root of bitterness in. 
and, and, the, and the, the antidote is to say, Lord, I love you and I thank you and I praise you. I, I've learned, one thing that I've learned over the past 20 years has been to thank God for the, for the bad things as well as the good ones. That's a great antidote to bitterness. Thank you, Lord, you're turning all of this bad stuff. Thank you, this stuff that annoys me. Thank you, you're turning it round for good. Praise you, Lord. I praise you in the good times, but I also choose to praise you in the bad times. That's what God wants. That brings up beauty. That means the older you get, the more beautiful you look. It means that God's light is shining out of your face. And you might be an old doll in your 90s, but they're still shining with God's glory. And you're beautiful. And people see that beauty on you. And they love it and they're drawn to it. And people will come to you because they say, there's the look of Christ in that woman's face. And they'll want, to be, they'll want to go to you and ask for your help. And you will find you can sit at home, even if you're not fit to go out and, and, and you're sitting up at home, you can have people coming to you from near and far because they've seen the look of Christ in your face. And they're saying, that woman, I want to go to her. I want her to pray for me. I want, I want to tell my troubles to her. Why? Because you've come through troubles and you've overcome them and you've got beautiful outcome troubles. And they see it and they want to get close to you and you'll find there'll be people knocking on your door. Even as an old woman in your 90s, that you can suffer fruitfulness because you've chosen to keep your eyes on Jesus and to keep running and trusting and to be that woman of faith. Just the final, the final point. Don't be like Esau and waste your life. I loved the way the, the message put this. Watch out for the Esau syndrome. What's the Esau syndrome? Well, those of you who know the story of Esau will know that he sold his birthright just for a, a bowl of porridge, or just, for a, just for a meal. Somebody said for a, ham, for a, a McDonald's hamburger. <laughs> so what is the Esau syndrome? It's trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. It's, it's, it's allowing your flesh to take over. It's, it's allowing, it's taking the shortcut. It's, it's, it's satisfying your flesh, your appetites of your flesh, instead of looking at what God can give you and what God wants to do in your life. Trading away God's lifelong gift in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. You well know what says in the message, how Esau later regretted that impulsive act and wanted God's blessing, but by then it was too late. Tears are no tears. You know, I know that God forgives. He's forgiven so much in my life and stuff that I'm so ashamed of in my own life. But he's forgiven us and he's washed me clean and he's, he's actually restored the, the years that the locusts have eaten. But you know, if we continue to make bad choices, if we continue to choose to do it in a, in a, in our own, out of our own desires instead of what God's saying is best, if we continue to disobey God, then there will be a time in eternity when we look into the face of Jesus and we will shed tears because we will not be able to undo the choices that we've made. And I believe that's a very scary word, but yet, the truth is that God wants to awaken us to the fact that the choices that you make today determine what's going to happen tomorrow. The choices that you make today will determine what's going to happen for the rest of your days. 
And if you choose to do, it, to do it God's way, you're going to end up with a lot of fruitfulness and you're not going to have regret. Esau ended up with great regret, but it was too late. He had already made the bad choices. And so I want to urge you not to be like that, but I want to urge you to run. We need to count the cost. There is a cost. We need to, we need to count that cost. We need to run the race. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, Don't you realise that in a race everyone runs but one person gets the prize? So run to win. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away, but we do it for an an eternal prize. So I run with purpose, says the Apostle Paul, in every step. I'm not just shadow boxing. I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should. Otherwise, I fear that after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. God wants us all, myself included. He wants us to shape up. He wants us to get our, our spiritual lives into shape. He wants us to keep our eye on down the line on Jesus and to get into the lane. And you know, we're all, if you can see a racetrack with all the different lanes, lanes for the runners, I see it all, and we're all running on this track. We're all in different places. And we're running a different race, each of us, because God has marked it out for you. But we need to encourage each other to keep running. And the great thing that I love about this is that we're to run to pass on the baton to the next generation. See, Hebrews 11, there are all these stories that to pass on this baton of faith to us. But we're on the race to pass it on to the next generation. I want that really, I'm challenging myself as well as you. Are you doing that? Are you actually so full of Jesus and so, so much running in, in that peace that we've talked about? with no bitterness, shining for Jesus, that actually you're getting opportunities. I believe that God will bring opportunities your way to speak to your grandchildren, to speak in the lives of the, of the next generation that are coming up and to pass on, the, as Americans say, the baton. Pass it on that, they will, that they'll be infected by your passion for Jesus. That they'll be infected by when they look at your life and see the way you've run. They'll want to run even harder than you. They'll want to overtake you. They'll want to run the race because they've seen the way you run the race. There's something I wanted to finish to read to you before we finish. Are you hungry to finish? Jesus, it says that Jesus said to his disciples, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Jesus was hungry to do God's will in his life. He was hungry to do what God had sent him to do, to die on the cross, to pay the price of the sins of the world. That he was hungry to do that. Jesus was hungry for the will of God and to finish his work. He was so hungry for it that he deemed it more vital than food itself. It was his meat. His life's focus was upon the will of God being completed. Now is the time to hunger for God's will. Are you hungry to finish? Is completing the work of God your highest goal? Show me a hungry person and I'll show you a champion. Do not be satisfied with just doing God's will, but also finishing God's work that he has given you. When you get this, you have a job to do. You are on an assignment by God. It should drive you and fulfill you more than spending your time doing anything else. 
God's work and God's will will give you more joy and more fulfilment than anything else in this world can give you. Decide that decide nothing is going to satisfy you like accomplishing his will for your life and there is reward and great joy ahead and here's the prayer i want to pray it over you father thank you for choosing me and giving me purpose i am honored and humbled you have called me to a work reveal it even more to me i ask for a greater hunger to not only start but finish Help me be centred and focused on finishing. Like Jesus, my meat is to do my Father's will and to finish this good work in my hands. I thank God for, for the grace, the wisdom and the counsel to do it. I receive the strength, joy and courage to finish in Jesus' name. I just pray that over every single one of you women, that you would be runners that today you would settle it that you really want to run to win this race for God not just to start it but to finish it Lord I thank you that your word is powerful I thank you Lord that your word is alive and active and I ask you Lord that through your word today that you would speak deeply into our hearts just now and Lord uh, just as we would sing our song Lord be thou my vision Help us to, to get a clear view of Jesus and to look into his face. And Lord, I just pray that you would do what you want to do, what you need to do today in every single heart. And there could be somebody in here this morning who has never experienced salvation, who has never experienced inviting Jesus to be their saviour. A particular moment where they asked him to come in and to forgive and to, to, to dwell in them and to receive him by faith and receive forgiveness of sins and to receive the Holy Spirit into their lives. I just have a sense there could be somebody here who has never actually done that. And if you haven't, I would love you to come up and to experience what it is to know this free gift of salvation that Jesus died to give you, that you can actually start running this race in seriousness. I also have a sense that there could be somebody here this morning who, as we said earlier, who feels like they're almost in a, almost buried by the cares of this world. And I want to say to you that when Jesus died and was put into the tomb, he was buried, but on the third day he arose again. And I want to tell you that there is a season, and you might feel that you're just underneath everything, that you're buried with all the troubles of the world, but I want to tell you that God is for you, and that by the power of the risen Christ, that you're going to rise up and there's going to be a victory and a fruitfulness as you trust God in this season that you're going to be raised up into new life and into a new thing that God has for you and I do believe that God has a call on many of your lives that is a fresh call something that's new something that God wants to do that is is something maybe that some of you have never ever imagined that he would do with you and I want to encourage you that when God calls you to do something, he equips you to do it. And he gives you the power to do it. And there's no fear in doing it. Step out and say it. And just speak to him this incoming week. For three weeks left, we're going to finish off the book of Hebrews. Let's trust him for the way ahead. And let's believe that there's going to be a lot of fruit out of the next three weeks. So go in peace. And we're up here at the front if anyone wants prayer. Amen.